0: Stay standing for just a minute and turn that direction <coughs> and then rub the shoulders of the person right in front of you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yes. That's what we're talking about right there. Yeah.
0: Turn the other direction, other direction. Oh, yeah, you got to get it both ways.
1: Those that give shall receive.
0: (laughs) Okay, turn towards the front and then do a big stretch up to the top. Bend at the waist, bend at the waist, see how far you can go down. Go ahead, you can do it. Oh, that's that sound. All right. Wow, that's a good stretch.
1: Okay. We have medical staff here That created a problem.
0: <laughs> hey, so. they're going to be handing out some three-by-five cards. If you could take one of those, that'd be great. Um. Hey, do this with me. <clears throat> um, take a breath in, take a breath in. As far end as you can go, and exhale. Um, wow, well, we just feel, we feel really blessed to be in the presence and witness, um, witness this go. story, and, um, yeah. and so, um, what we'd wanna say to you is that, um, well done. You know, the the hard part is hearing a story on the outside is um, the grace that's given in the inside of anything that's tragic is really difficult because we all project, right? So, the hard part is like any time that there's loss that's so deep, um, it's hard to know how God's going to carry you. It's hard to know how you'll be met in this or recovered or healed. And yet we know that God is faithful to do all those things for you. But, you know, the Hebrews passage says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who the joy set before him endured the cross. And then it talks about this cloud of witnesses that's cheering you on. And could we do this as a way to honor the Lord? Would you just cheer for me for just a minute? for Mandy and Brett, and not, not because they need the cheering, but what I'd like you to be reminded of is that there are people cheering you on for this race that's marked out for you. So at the end of you, when you shared, I just felt like I wanted to cheer. And then I was like, that seems so weird. Like, that doesn't seem like the right thing, like to cheer for you, right? I was like, but I want you to know that we're cheering for you for this race. So can you come up here for just a minute? And then, I'm going to pray, and then I'd love a big round of cheering for them. Thank you, God. Thank you that you know how to knit our hearts together. You know how to heal us while we're wounded. You know how to restore the places that are unseen. You know how to find us when we're lost. You know how to speak to our minds. You know how to tell us the truth and comfort us. That we are secure in your arms. There's no other place that is as safe. And so we pray, especially over their marriage right now, in Jesus' name, that they'd be so deeply tied to you and to each other, that there'd be no other place to go. And we ask for a covering over them. We ask these things because we believe that you are the grace that is needed, that you are the comfort, that you are the mercy, that you're the source of love and hope. And may they stand another day, and may they fall another day into your arms. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: St. Francis said that we, we only really know the theology that we do, that we really only know the theology that we do, and so you guys have done your theology. Um, so thanks, and thanks for all the folks in this room that have done their theology too. Um, they've kind of entered the horrible and brought the holy. That's, that's as good and hard as it gets, so, um, and it's a lot to cheer about right, that somehow God does that. He shows up in places, and um, he brings what we need, and we don't even fully understand how he does it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the serious business of, of Christ coming after us, and it's also the joy that comes as well. So we get too serious about things, right? It stretches us in this way that you go, oh, I can't take myself too serious. I need the lightness of the load that the Lord promises to us, Right? So he goes, that's why the joy and the sorrow are so equally tied. Because yeah. really, to the degree that we can weep, we can also have joy. Yeah. A lot of times, our world says, that if you have sorrow, then you can't have joy. And that's absolutely not true. To the depth that we'll go in our sorrow is the other place that we go, oh my gosh, I can sense God's goodness now. Yeah. The way that we enjoy now, it takes a whole different thing inside of us that changes, Right? When we have this sorrow that we go, I enjoy this person in front of me very differently than I did before. Once I've, I've wept. Yeah, amen. So you um, heard us talk about the special needs um, ministry, and um, we, we, we were, we've learned so much about uh, honesty and friendship from them, really. felt like the Lord brought us into the whole dynamic of special needs kids because there were things inside of us that really needed their joy, that really needed their honesty, because they, they'll just, they'll bypass all of the things that you put up. Like if you don't want to be hugged, watch out, right? If you don't want to have an honest thing said to you, watch out, right? Everything, they just go all past all of the things, right? And they just come right into your life. So uh, there was this guy, so we started I, one of the- say one yeah.
1: thing? We have a friend who's a little OCD, he's a little germaphobe, and we brought him up to camp. And so he goes, can you just explain to these kids not to get too close, not to touch me? And we just go, oh, we'll totally explain that to them, <laughs> right? So as soon as he got on the property and uh, these kids saw him and they, he, sold, he sold, he sells duct tape, so they just started calling him Tape Man, Tape Man. And you know, they're big, they're messy, beautiful kids. And um, I said, Mike, you're going to meet the kids and he goes, you explained to them, right? I go, oh yeah, yeah, we're good right? And I go, Hey, you guys, this is my key cells tape. They go tape, man. And they came up and they were all over him. I mean, touching him, grabbing him. And he was like, no way out, sort of a deal. Like, what well, I, I explained it to him. <laughs> right. And I got to tell you, by, you know, by the second day, they were just everywhere he went, they were holding his hand, all of his germaphobe stuff. Like they were, they just buried him. And uh, it was beautiful to see yeah. his
0: yeah, one of the leaders had um, a desire and a heart, too, that we would start doing Bible study with the kids. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, retention with the kids. But she really had a heart, and she was right. Like, it was crazy, like, what they could remember about the Bible. I don't—there was some supernatural thing that happened about them understanding Christ, that the Holy Spirit would just help a kid who shouldn't understand, understand. It was crazy. So uh, we would do a Bible study, and I was just amazed at what was happening with it. And then I would walk out, and there was this um, guy. His name was Jerry. He was actually a twin to a girl. Two born—this family had two kids born, and they were twins, especially both had disabilities. And Jerry walked out to the car, and I noticed that he was kind of following me. And so we walked out to the car, and he goes, "Where, where are you going, Renee? And I go, oh, I need to get home. He goes, Why? And I go, well, I need to get home because my husband's at home. And he goes, oh, you have a husband? <laughs> I go, I do. <laughs> I do have a husband. he goes, that's too bad. <laughs> and I go, I go, they
1: say everything they think, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and,
0: and I go, he goes, what's his name? And I go, his name is Don Wooster. And he goes, oh, never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> I was Jerry. was like, oh, oh, it was so classic. And then, and so it, it was crazy because it's the one thing that Jerry remembers about me. And this is not an exaggeration. We saw, so Jerry came to club. So the Lord had us start the ministry and then we this, got to step out and come alongside. This 20 years
1: and, ago, right? And, that
0: that happened. And then? And like a year, a year ago, we were in a grocery store and I was, I, they were begging my groceries in the aisle and I go, oh my gosh, it's Jerry. Jerry's at the end, and he's bagging my groceries, and I hadn't seen him for a really long time. And I, I go, Jerry, do you remember me? And he goes, I remember you. How's your husband?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm still getting dissed. Like, 20 years later, Jerry is still pounding on me. It's just like going, how does that happen? It's just crazy, right? Yeah. But here's the deal. they, They have... They've taught us a lot about friendship. Um, we talked about essentials, right, and we talked about the essential of a true north, like something that's there, and it's always there, and it's always inviting us. So we talked about true friendship, and you can't fake it, not when the storms blow in, like it's real. If, if you've got it, then you know it, and if you don't, you know it, but it's real. True north and true friendship. And um, to this, this morning, we got a little bit of time, just, we just want to talk about kind of like being aware of the true brokenness that we're all carrying, we're all making sense out of it. Like it's true, there's a brokenness in all of us and we need to kind of, it's pretty essential that we're able, to, we're able to recognize that and carry that in a way that keeps us productive and not destructive. Um, I heard uh, uh, my niece graduated from Westmont College, which is a small private Christian college in Santa Barbara, California, and we were at her graduation. and. And Westmont had a whole bunch of, you know, very impressive people coming to present to this group of graduating college students. And they all said great things, right? Uh, But probably the, I thought the best thing I heard all day and probably one of the best graduation, college graduation speeches I heard, was very short, uh, but it was an African-American woman who got up. She was probably in her 80s and um, she had been associated around the university through some different ways. And she got up and here's all these graduating college kids off to change Mm -hmm. the world. And she got up and her graduation speech, she basically looked out on the crowd and she said, okay, so be careful what you hide. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: She goes, you'll become the thing that you hide. If you hide hurt, you'll become full of hurt and hurtful. Mm -hmm. If you hide fear, you'll fill up on fear. You'll be fearful. And if you hide shame, you'll become full of shame and shameful. Be careful what you hide. Have a nice life. <laughs> Boom. Down. Drop the mic. She's done. Be careful what you hide. Right? It'll fill you up. And, and I would say, I think, um, you know what, there's a real powerful truth and there's a real powerful tendency in us. Um, when things are happening, to sort of go, I kind of want to hide some of the less flattering dimensions of my life. We have a lot of college student friends who, you know, are on social media. I don't know if social media for meeting people is as, is as common back here, but a lot of our friends are on social media trying to meet people and they're reading their profiles and looking at their pictures and kind of going, is that really them? I mean, you know, are, are they maybe overselling themselves a little bit? Because eventually you got to meet the person. But this tendency of hiding or polishing, I think runs pretty deep.
0: Yeah. Right. So we want to ask you that, a question about that. What do you think causes us to hide? Tell us some reasons why we hide. Fear, Fear. insecurity, shame, guilt, rejection,
1: Wow, you guys really have issues.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anything?
1: That's good. That's our list, too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Any other reasons why we would hide? Control. Control, Control. yeah.
1: Pride. Yeah. Right.
0: Embarrassment. Embarrassment, that's right. Performance. That's Uncertainty. Yeah, but uh, hiding is a habit, right? And really when we look at scripture, when sin enters the world in Genesis, they're walking in the cool of the day and then sin enters the world, right? And when God comes to find them, he comes to find them and what are they doing? Hiding, right? Because as soon as we sin, there's this thing inside of us that wants to hide. As soon as sin was introduced, shame was also introduced in all the things that we just listed. Because there's this thing inside of us that goes, I know that I'm not meant to be acting in accordance that way. I know there's something deep within me that really wants the true good design that God has put inside of me. And when I act in those ways and when I hide those things, I can feel the shame and the guilt the rejection and the hurt.
1: Yeah. It, but it's a funny tendency because um, I remember um, when our kids were littler, about the ages of a lot of your kids, I would come home and uh, I would, you know, oftentimes walk in the door and Ray would be there and I'd hear these little giggles and these coming around from, you know, little sights around our, our living room and Ray would go, wow, I, I don't know where the kids are. They disappeared. And that was kind of my cue that I go, really? yeah, I don't I don't see the kids either, right? And there'd be this, you know, like Emma's hiding behind the lamp, right? Which is, you know, sort of giggling to sort of go, wow, look, they're not under the pillows. They're not here, right? And as we're looking, as I'm going around looking for them while they're hiding and giggling because we can't find them. And there's this you know, now occasionally I would get distracted, you know, I'd look three or four times and then Renee would say, oh, by the way, we got this bill today or something. I'd go, well, seriously? I mean, I'd be, you know, I'd, and then, you know, after a minute or two, they'd start making noises again to draw me back in. They'd start going, <laughs> I mean, trying to get me back on the hunt to go, oh, that's right. I'm still looking for the kids. I've got to go back and look for them. And here's the funny thing in that hide and seek game is that, you know, it's kind of a conflicted. Because we, we kind of want to hide, but we're also hoping that we'll get found, mm-hmm. right? is kind of that con- a kind of a funny conflict in that game that kids start to play early, right? So I, I kind of, I don't want to be seen, mm-hmm. but I really want to be found, mm-hmm. right? I, I could tattoo that on my own heart. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of afraid of being seen. Right? I'm kind of afraid you would all stand up and run out of the room, right, if you really saw me. But I really want to be found, right? That's sort of the, the, the core insecurity, the core thing that we're all trying to make sense out of is that risk of being seen, because there's a deep desire, there's a deep hope that somebody will come and find us, and they won't run away when they do. They'll be able to handle kind of what they found. Yeah.
0: One of our favorite um, people to follow and listen to and read is Tim Keller, and he says, the gospel is, you're more wicked and sinful than you know, and you're more loved than you can imagine. That's the gospel. Welcome. (laughs) So there's this thing, you know, inside of us that as we're welcomed into that, we go, wow, as soon as we come up next to the Lord, we, we become aware of this thing that's inside of us, that we go, wow, we're at odds. Paul talks about it, right? In the New Testament, he goes, what is that battle within me? That as soon as I come close to the Lord, I start to see the things inside of me. And one way that we can do that is by hiding, right? But another way that we can do that is go, okay, as soon as we see it, we can go into performance mode, and go, well, I'll fix it. Yeah. That's a way that I can get my way back to the Lord or to others or to right relationship Instead of hiding, I'll just fix the thing that God shows me.
1: Yeah, last, uh, last year there was an article in, our, um, in the Scottsdale Magazine. And Scottsdale, Arizona, which um, our kids go to school there, has become the number one destination for people who come for cosmetic surgery. They come to Scottsdale. Congratulations, we're the, we're the top, right? Um, <laughs> and as a matter of fact, the big cover story was about two women from Minnesota who came to Scottsdale and they were coming to get cosmetic surgery. And, uh, and they have a lot of folks from the Midwest who come to Scottsdale, and they come out for a two-week spa vacation, they get their cosmetic work done, and then they recover by the pool, and kind of get all fixed up, and then they return, and lo and behold, their, their cosmetic enhancements are all squared away. And, and um, you know? and. Uh, And they probably picked up a tan and, you know, some other kinds of things. People go, wow, you look so rested and different. (laughs) Oh, no, just a vacation. I just got some good sleep, you know, and a tummy tuck and an eyebrow and a few other (laughs) little cosmetic fixes. I mean, but they were kind of saying they come to Scottsdale because they can recover. And some of them were saying, you know, in our community, it's a little, uh, people are more self-conscious about that. And in Scottsdale it's a competitive sport. (laughs) Like, you walk around our restaurants in downtown Scottsdale or shopping malls, I mean, you just have people going, wow, who did your work? That's really beautiful. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing as I'm saying it out loud in front of you. So, um, (laughs) but they just do because they're gonna cosmetically fix themselves or enhance themselves or, or make themselves more attractive. And I think we can get that kind of mentality emotionally and spiritually. We can just cosmetically fix ourselves. We can just kind of fix that. These are just surface things that we can kind of... Uh, about three years ago, I was on a fishing trip. I've got a group of old guys, and we fish on the, uh, this section of the Black River on the, on the Apache Indian Reservation. We're too old to be doing this, but we're not going to stop, you know, because we started doing it in our you know, right after college, and we got a four-wheel drive in, we got to climb down mountains, we shouldn't be climbing down, and then we get on the river, we always hurt ourselves, get lost, get chased by wild animals, it's great. So, um, but three years ago, I happened to step on a boulder, and I just totally rolled my ankle, blew it out, I mean, it was pretty bad, but we fished, because you don't stop fishing, because you just don't. So we finished the trip, and I, I was fishing less effectively than I would have, but we got back, and I had this ankle buddy of mine looking at it, and he goes. You tore some tendons, but it's not broken. So, you know, he, he goes. Take it home, ice it, elevate it, do that little thing. And so I was doing it. So I did that for four or five days. And, and you know, by the end of the week, I mean, it was really hurting. And I called the guy back up, and I go, Hey, this is like hurting big time. And he goes, Ah, you're a wimp. Come on, suck it up. You're old. It's fine. So another four or five days goes by, and uh, I'm going. This injury is really getting to me. And you know, Renee and I are actually going to speak somewhere. And look, I look down at my leg and I've got these red streaks that are coming up my leg, you know? And I call him back, he goes, dude, you've got an infection in there. Like, and so I came back in, and he took a couple of vials out of my ankle, I had a staph infection, it was working its way up and, and I was kind of thinking I was dealing with an injury. But when I got injured, because of that injury, this infection had gotten in. And really if you treat an infection like an injury, you don't get better. You die, right? Um, It's not a cosmetic issue, right? It's an Mm -hmm. interior issue. Once you have an infection, the brokenness the Bible talks about us having is an infection. It's not an injury. It's not that we're doing bad behavior. It's there's something broken in us. That is sort of keeping us hiding. Paul says the very good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad I don't. He's talking about an interior sort of infection. We need more than some cosmetic fix. I'm going to quit doing that behavior. You go, that's an injury. And and the gospel says, oh, it's it's not an injury. This is deeper in you. And we can't self-correct that. We can't just cosmetically address that. The Bible says there's a deeper brokenness, we have to get help beyond ourselves to sort that out.
0: Yeah. The first year that um, we did <clears throat> the special needs ministry and took kids to camp, we took a really small group, and um, we just got introduced by word of mouth to people who had disabilities that were in high school, and um, someone had said, hey, we should, we should have Dusty come. And We always heard their story, like um, what had happened to them. Dusty had had 18 seizures the first 18 hours of her life. 45 minutes on for a seizure, 15 minutes off. That was her first. So she had, um, she was deaf and she was mute and she had uh, mental disabilities, but because of her her deafness, they could never really test her to find out the learning ability for her. So we took Dusty, and the first time I met Dusty, she came to club and she had on a black hat, a black t-shirt, black jeans, black shoes. You get the idea. And a lot of times, you know, with special needs kids, you go, oh, they're so sweet. And there's a lot of sweet kids. But the truth is, they need a savior too. And so Dusty was definitely, she was this hard, hard girl. Like she was mad all the time. You didn't need any like special discernment to know that she was mad. Like she was just mad at everybody you that she the, met.
1: You, remember in the boat we tried to get her to put the, light, the yeah. life jacket on?
0: She knew how to swim and we told her that she because safety regu- regulations at all the camps they go, you need a life jacket, because we're trying to communicate with her. We're putting a life she's jacket life- on. <laughs> she she's like going, started I wearing a life jacket. Punching. She's throwing
1: blows and she's standing in a no at Lake Mary before Canoeba. we got to camp. She's yeah. in the boat. Yeah. Yeah. She had a lot of energy.
0: I said to Don, <laughs> should we what do we what do we do with what do we do with Dusty and he goes, take we don't need a life jacket. It's fine, just let New it go.
1: No life jacket. <clears throat> we just changed that rule.
0: But Dusty, uh we took her to camp. I told her mom, so we would take her home, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that she was cussing in sign language at us. Like she was starting to do a lot of things with her hands and cussing at us. And I was like, I think she's cussing. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry, told her mommy go. There are some
1: international symbols and <laughs> fingers that translate.
0: So we took um, Dusty. We brought someone who could sign to Dusty, but she would have none of it. Like. They would start to sign to her, like, here's what we're gonna do next, and she would literally go like this. She would turn her head and put, and she would ignore them. Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand, (laughs) like, I'm not even gonna look. And the girl, finally, the girl broke down that was trying to interpret everything, and she goes, I don't know what to do, and I go, it's fine, just be at camp. So she left Dusty, and Dusty was just on her own, and she was just hard the whole week. Like, I was going, how in the world are we gonna be able to communicate to Dusty? Well, the night of the crosstalk, we go into the club room, And the leaders are kind of done because she's just been, she's been out of control. And they said, hey, um, Dusty won't come out of the club room. And I said, it's fine, just leave her in there. Because after they gave the message of the cross, they gave this opportunity to say, would you like to receive Christ? And so the kids who wanted to stay in could stay in the club room. So that group of kids stayed in the club room and Dusty stayed in and the leaders left and she was by herself in the club room. No one interpreting for her, no one talking to her. And they finished and they dismissed club we we're down like the snack bar and I saw this shadow and I saw this person running towards me and it was dusty. And she was running towards me and then she she's getting my attention and she was like like look at me look at me. And then she started pointing up. And I was like "Dusty?" She started pointing up. And I go, "What is it?" And she goes I was like How did God do that? She goes, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, Dusty, did you receive Christ? Is Jesus in you? Mm. I was like, oh Lord. How do you get past a girl who ignores you and who's deaf and mute and has mental disabilities, and you communicate Jesus? That day, our faith, like, grew crazy. Because we're like, how do you you get past all the obstacles? How do you get past the ignoring? Because she had all these things put up in front of her, like, I'll just ignore. But God just kept pulling all of them down, saying, I have a heart for you.
1: Yeah, the fun part was her mom, we took her home because Dusty always got thrown out of all the camps she went to. And when her mom came home, mom calls Renee like two days later. She goes, what happened to Dusty at camp? Mom's pretty hard too. Renee goes, we think she met Christ. (laughs) Um, And the mom goes, well, the, the, the place where she works called and said, Dusty's totally different. What happened to her what are you doing to her and the mom goes i have no idea and uh, i mean if you met dusty she is transformed she's alive she glows right she's still deaf she's still mentally everything else you just see this life in her right she's alive on the inside she is dialed right but the the ignore or the limitations that we would put that God can enter and, and pass through any of it. So we want to finish your time. We're wanna look just uh, So at, uh, as we
0: kinda of think about this whole idea that you could try to hide it, you could try and fix it, you could try and ignore your brokenness. But we love we love Peter because what he's all about is who we are too, right? We see ourselves in Peter all the time. But there's this encounter when he with Jesus, when and Peter's a fisherman. So when He had finished speaking, Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Too many fish for one boat. That's so good. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people.
1: Um, I think uh, in one translation it says, Depart from me. I'm a man of of sinful, you know, I'm my language, unclean, right? And you kind of picture that, that Peter has this moment where he doesn't really know what to do with Jesus, but in the presence of this miraculous catch, that whatever he's saying or doing, he suddenly becomes self-conscious. It's not very religious. It's not very spiritual. I have a personal theory that he was doing some happy cussing when he saw all those fish coming in. I mean, was professional fishermen sort of going, I, whatever he said or was doing at that moment to go. This is miraculous, and I am not acting probably the best way that I should. And suddenly, he goes, Jesus, you should go. Like, you should go. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. And that Jesus would look at him and says to Peter, don't be afraid. You're telling me to leave because you're afraid that I can't handle you in all of your raw whatever's going on. You're afraid I can't handle you. But he says, oh, don't be afraid. Right? He goes, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm, you're not just, I'm just not going to tolerate you. I'm actually going to call you into something yeah. beyond yourself. But the sense of that we would be afraid mm-hmm. of Christ seeing us, maybe in our unflattering moments, mm-hmm. whatever that would look like, that he goes, don't be. Mm-hmm. I know you better than you, and I'm not afraid. We don't ever have to be afraid. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. We don't ever have to be afraid of the brokenness we're confessing. Mm-hmm. Peter says, I'm a mess. Don't put me on your team. And Jesus goes, I'm not afraid that you're a mess. You don't have to be afraid either. The brokenness we're confessing, we never have to be afraid of. It's The stuff we're hiding, we have to look for it.
0: God always gives us a way out. So the denying it, the ignoring it, The fixing it, the hiding from it, the Lord said, those will never serve you well. The repentance and confession is the way back to you and to me. Yeah. So we're going to finish our time, and you should have a note card if you got one. Love you to pull that out. And we're going to finish our time a little different um, this morning as we head to small groups. And what I'd like, if you're able to, that we um, are on our knees. And so I'd like you to consider an area that you go, I would love the Lord as he comes into me to heal this place. Could I confess this? This area that doesn't serve me well, this area of brokenness that I'm participating with. And so we're going to just get on our knees and then ask the Lord, is there anything that I need to write down on the card? Any place, Lord? David says, search me and know me and see if there's any wrong way in me. We're giving the Lord opportunity to search us. This isn't self-inflicted. It's asking the Lord, is there any place? So if you can, and you'd like to, come down onto your knees.
1: Ginny's work.
0: So God, we, we surrender. We give you permission. We're grateful you tell us to not be afraid. Is there anything, Lord, that's keeping us away from you? Any places that we participate with anything any ways that we try to fix ourselves or hide from you or we ignore and we're passive any areas lord that you want us to reengage Consider for just a minute what that might be for you. Thank you, God, that you came and found us when we were ashamed and hiding when we participate with blame, blaming ourselves or blaming others. We ask for a real sense of looking, awareness of seeing, not to condemn us or guilt us or shame us, but always for restoration for who you've made us to be. We ask for this kind of awareness so that we could be free to know the truth. In Jesus' name amen. So then if something came to your mind, would you just write that one word maybe down on your card, and then you can head straight to small groups and find your group and maybe share questions and the word from your card.